Hello there. You're about to listen to an episode of Food and L Talk, Legacy Food and L Talks. You know, in 2023, Food and L Talks rebranded and relaunched as change makers. But all the episode we've recorded up to this point is still available for you to listen. And you're just about to listen to one of them. Enjoy it. And don't forget, Food and L Talks is now Change Maker Podcast. Thank you. Welcome to a new episode of the Food and Health Talks podcast, a show focused on educating and empowering people to create a healthier future through nutrition and wellness education. A show where you will find interviews with leading scientists making groundbreaking discoveries, innovators, and global food industry leaders. It is that show you do not want to miss with your host, Dr. Julia Oleanju. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food and Health Talks. Recently, I've been bringing to you conversations I've had with different innovators and uh, also innovating in different aspects of the food industry. Today, I have a special guest. His name is Yelda Helram. He's the founder and the CEO of Exit. Yelda and his team are focused on reducing waste and enhancing productivity in hair production. They're employing a genome editing tool called CRISPR to enable sex determination in hairs. Yelda, I'm really excited to have you here. I'm eager to learn more about what you're doing and um, looking forward to our conversation together as well. Welcome. Thank you so much, Julia. My pleasure to share our story. So, um, you know, a lot of times when I think about uh, different innovators, the ones that have gone ahead of us, are the ones that I've, I've met in the past few years, one thing is very, very uh, unique and uniform, and that is our story, everyone has a story. So do you mind telling us a little bit about how you got to where you are today and doing what you're doing today? Sure, sure. So I'm a grandson of, of uh, egg farmers. And uh, as a kid, I would spend time in their farm uh, on weekends. We didn't live in the same, uh, in the same place. And, and uh, I was always curious about the uh, how it actually works and what's behind the scenes. And uh, when you're an egg farmer, so you actually only see female layers who lay the eggs. Mm. And uh, at a certain stage, I became curious, where are the males in the story? Uh, fast forward many, many years after, after being a, a partner in a law office for 20 years, one of my clients who is a scientist phoned me and told me about the problem of the male in the layer industry and how he heard about it randomly. He's a neuroscientist and he figured out a way to solve the problem. The problem is that the modern industry of, of livestock is all about optimization of resources. And uh, the chickens that we the chicken that we eat are different by genetics than the chicken that lay eggs that we eat. So, the just to, to give you uh, uh, an illustration of the of the situation, uh, a broiler can reach at maturity of uh, the weight of two and a half three kilograms, uh, whereas the cousin, the layer breed, 
it would be around 400 grams. So obviously, if you are a farmer in the broiler industry, you want to use the, the broiler type of genetics that grow fast and, and, and gain a lot of uh, kilograms. Whereas if you are the, in the layer industry, you want those who lay as many eggs as possible. And these are these small, slow growing layers, which creates kind of a, a market failure, uh, so to speak, that the male layers are useless because they never grow fast enough and large enough to be interesting to the poultry industry. And at the same time, of course, being males, they do not lay eggs. So what do you do with them? And uh, the sad reality is that you figure out that males are males after they're hatched and because they are not a product, so nobody wants to feed them and therefore they are killed or culled in industry terms uh, as they are hatched by a, a procedure of, of sex selection and the females go to the industry, the males uh, end their lives on the spot. And it's, uh, it's a sad reality and it's also expensive because it's using resources that otherwise you wouldn't need to use. And then Danny, Professor Danny Offen, my co-founder, heard about the problem and came up with a solution. Then he approached me, again, more from the legal IP side of, of, of the technology and me kind of rem remembering my roots and in a way having enough from, from my, my legal career, I decided to actually join him and, and start Exit, our company, in order to bring his idea to market. That's quite interesting. And one of the things that Ulysses asked me is more of um, how he thought of the science of it. It really, really um, caught my attention and how uh, you use CRISPR to um, Right before they even um, before you even start the the production process, you already marked the hex that in a way that it's very easy for you to identify the male from the female. And I found that really fascinating. You know the way where different people are innovating, um, leveraging their scientific expertise to bring innovation into the food industry has been quite remarkable. And that was one thing that really caught my attention with your company as well. And I was wondering if you don't mind sharing a little bit about this technology itself and, and how you, you're leveraging the different scientific tools to help enhance the industry. Sure. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to be the non-scientist to share the excitement of, of, <laughs> of these technologies uh, that are available. So, so what happened, uh, 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 in science, which enables us to do what we do, are two main things. One, that genomes have been mapped. So you have the, the codes of the building blocks of organisms. Mm -hmm. And uh, back in 2012, the first uh, publication around CRISPR uh, as a gene editing technology uh, showed up. And that uh, can be referred to as a very accurate uh, scissors that can actually uh, help you edit the genome that you have now the ability to map in order to optimize uh, genetics for all kinds of causes and, and, and for good causes around the uh, health uh, of, of any organism, uh, may it be a human, uh, an animal or a plant. 
And uh, when you find issues that can be repaired by fixing uh, something in the genetics, CRISPR and other technologies uh, make it available for the scientific community to, to design uh, strategies in order to edit the DNA in order to fix those issues. In our case, we're, we're using it at Exit uh, to, to products that we're developing and, and are available public uh, knowledge at this point are, are what we discussed before, the, the sexing technology. And uh, recently we opened our animal health unit because we realized that many, many applications same like in human research uh, can be available for, for animal health. And, I, and I, will, I will tell you how we use them uh, if you want me to. Sure, to sure please do. Okay, so with, with sexing, so the determination whether uh, the embryo inside the egg that will be hatched will be male or female, that information is there once the egg is laid. And then the hatching period of 21 days in nature, the mother would, would lay, uh, would sit on the egg and, and warm it and lay it. But in modern hatcheries, exactly that happens just by uh, external energy. And we actually end up hatching 100% of the eggs, knowing that 50% will be male and 50% will be female. We just don't know who is who. But the information is there from day zero. So imagine a world where you knew what's inside the egg on day zero and you would not incubate those male eggs which are unwanted and not turn what is not life yet it's just the potential of life into life and then need to get rid of, of those male chicks so that's the way we are disrupting this industry and we are looking into the egg so to speak and picking up the signal that we have attached, and I'll explain soon a bit more how, into the male chromosome. So we see the male or what will be a male. And once we see that signal, we know it's going to be a male and therefore those eggs are pushed away and it, it creates a female only hatching environment. Mm -hmm. The way we do that is by attaching a fluorescent gene to the genetics, to the DNA of the foundation flock of, of, of these later commercial breeds. And therefore these breeds that have these, uh, this edit contained in them are sex detectable. And with a machine that we have developed an electro-optical machine, we see that signal. So it becomes relatively easy. It's a binary situation. The information is there. It's either male or female. The females remain the exact same females as they were, they were before. The DNA has not changed at all and they enter the hatchery, whereas our machine picks up the signal from the males and blocks the entry of the hatchery from those males, and they remain an egg. And those eggs, uh, depending on regulatory approvals, can probably, uh, we can find some usage from them for the chemical industry or any other industry that would not mind this extra uh, uh, edit in them because it's not consumed uh, as food. So that's what we do with, uh, with CRISPR and gene editing with, with the sexing technology. Uh, what we have recently began to develop is, is resistance uh, to avian influenza. So we figured out a strategy 
where we can create again by the addition of the DNA, a strategy in which those chickens that would be, the genetics would be edited in such a way that the virus of avian influenza does not know to associate itself with the bird and therefore the bird becomes resistance, resistant and, and uh, you create a healthier environment, both for, of course, uh, the birds, but uh, avian influenza can also uh, affect people. And uh, that, that's the goal. And, and hopefully uh, uh, we will come up with more and more innovations like this and create more and more sustainability and healthier uh, animals. That's um, quite uh, interesting to just see how much has gone into this and, um, and how creative the whole process is. So how do poultry farmers use your product? Yeah, sure. So, so important, uh, it's an important uh, comment to, to make that the product is under development and it's not available yet. Okay. But the vision is as follows. So because we actually uh, develop genetic traits, so you should think of us as, say, an Intel chip inside a Dell or Lenovo or Apple computer. So we develop the chip. So my computers are labeled uh, Intel inside. So breeds would be labeled as exit inside. So the genetic breeders of the world who decide to implement this exit technology into their breeds will have exit inside sex detectable breeds, exit inside uh, avian flu resistance breeds. So they develop the breeds the same way that they develop the breeds anyway today. There are those players in the value chain. That's where it all begins. And then it trickles down. Those genetics that anyway are developed for all kinds of optimizations today, and the farmers down the, down the pyramid buy from those genetic companies and, and multiply them and breed them. So if once this uh, these products will be available, these traits, and they will be embedded or implemented inside the genetics, then the farmers of the industry will just have a better performing chicken, which carry different traits that have been embedded. And uh, with avian influenza, it's just there. So you just have a healthier bird or a bird that is less prone to, to be affected by disease. Uh, in the sexing technology, so the hatcheries themselves will have to also uh, bundle the genetics, which is the detectability with the, with the scanner, which is the detector. And then the detector can pick up the signal of the detectability. And then if you have those breeds, you can then do the actual selection by the machine pre-incubation on day zero. Interesting. Can you please walk me through the process a poultry farmer would go through from the moment you onboard them as a customer to the moment where they got the they get the results that they really desire? What does it look like? So again, the the, the main enablers are the genetics. Once they have entered our technology into their breeds, it's there. Okay. From that point on it trickles down. It's in the genetics. It's not that we need to work on chicken by chicken. That's the beauty of working on DNA. So okay. it's there and it's there uh, forever. Right. And therefore, any chicken that is part of that lineage carries 
whatever the DNA of that lineage is, if that DNA of that commercial breed, commercial line is a sex detectable line, every chicken that comes from that line will carry that trait. Mm -hmm. So then you need to buy that trait and then, or, or the line that carries that trait, and then you need to uh, have the machine installed and the machine actually replaces. So how is it done today? Today, those hatcheries incubate 100% of the eggs, then 100% or whatever the hatching rate is hatch, and then more or less 50-50 will be male-female. And you have people who their profession is chicken sexers. Uh, they have been actually, the story of those people has been told on the uh, Oscar-winning uh, movie Minari, South Korean uh, movie. I don't know if, if, uh, if you've watched, but if not, it's an interesting movie anyway. Oh, really? Okay. It's around the life of people who their profession is being chicken sexers. So they go, work at hatcheries, they get the trees of the chicks that just hatched, and they do the male-female uh, selection by, uh, by way of figuring out who is who. And again, the females go to market, the males end their lives. Mm. That part of the industry will be unnecessary because we never hatched, given uh, the availability of this technology. The male eggs will never enter the incubators or the hatcheries, and therefore whatever entered is female, only those will hatch, and then you don't need people to select at the end of the line because you already pushed out the males mm. at, the, at the entry point of the hatchery. Right. I, I actually you you answered my question um, with the with those comments that number one you have the you have the breed the breed already has um, the your x y x y t um, in it and then you have something that can help you detect um, different um, sexes from each other because that that's um, that's the core part of it. And of course, once they know how to do it, um, it, it works going forward from there. And it's so interesting that so much is happening in that space that a lot of us are not even aware of in terms of getting rid of male uh, chicks and, and um, raising a particular uh, gender alone and things like that. It's, it's, um, it's interesting. And thank you so much for, for sharing that in, in details as well. So where do you see your company in the next five years? So as I said, we're of course working uh, uh, as, as fast as we can in order to bring uh, our innovation to market. So it's a lot of work and uh, biotech development is, is not easy, but uh, things are moving and moving fast. And uh, we are constantly looking for more and more products to develop and enter our pipeline in order to, to disrupt more. And again, the, the vision of, of exit is, is to create a sustainable future for the livestock industry. The population of the world is growing, the pressure on the planet is growing because of climate change, because of the population growth. And in order to feed uh, all of us here on the planet and with a healthy diet, including proteins, so something has to change because the way it's done is not the most efficient way uh, from any perspective. So there's a lot to do and uh, wherever there's a way to optimize the way that the food systems, especially regarding proteins, uh, operate today by these technologies, which are now more and more available, uh, I think it is our duty to, to do more. And, and, that, and that's our vision. And we are already working under the radar on a few more uh, 
tricks in, in order to, to do that. So moving away from Hexit uh, a bit and just talking about problems that we have in the food industry today that you think needs to be addressed. Can you just share your thoughts on that and also your perspective on how best to tackle these problems? I think that the, a nice way to put it is, is using this uh, more and more used term of, of, of the people wanting to know what happens between FARC and between farm and fork. Mm -hmm. So food uh, was kind of a mystery for, for most of us uh, uh, until, until this, uh, I would say, awareness uh, movement uh, uh, has developed. And people care more about what they eat and not only what they eat, but what's the ingredient and how did it actually become a product, uh, whether it's artificial ingredients and and uh, and uh, plant-based or animal-based uh, ingredients and so it's all about transparency today and and trust and 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 uh, people want to know and should know and people have been educated that food is a is a huge uh, part of, of their health and their well-being so you have to have a balanced diet, which of course needs to contain uh, protein. And more and more people uh, around the world are educated and have more and more access to protein. So you need to make more protein uh, because there's more people and there's more demand. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? So of course, there's a very interesting trend of developing alternative proteins. Uh, but until that will become, become a, an affordable reality, we believe it will take time. Until then, and as long as people still eat animal-based protein, the, the, the need to improve uh, the way it's done from any perspective, from sustainability, from animal welfare, from health, it needs to improve. And, 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 it, and, and it's happening across the, the value chain of food production. Uh, there's more awareness and, and pressures by regulators, by the public, by NGOs uh, to be more sustainable. And that means less influence on, on climate change, uh, less cruelty towards animals, uh, more welfare, more healthy ingredients, uh, etc. Thank you so much for sharing um, with us and connecting with our audience today. You know, it's it's a it's a lot that goes into most of these food production processes, and it's just good to see behind the scene what is really happening, and understand how people are innovating to make the process better. And um, thank you also for what you do um, to improve uh, the system as well. And to everyone listening, uh, thank you for connecting today. And till the next time when I bring another exceptional guest your way, stay safe. Thank you for joining us for another session of Food and Health Talks. We invite you to subscribe to this channel, share this with your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a review for us. Together, we are joining hands to shape a healthier future of food.